dismissed to their class, those that are with the teens, and the rest of us. Let's take our Bibles, and we have been going through a series on how to understand your Bible. And so tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to look at one word in our Bibles tonight, just one word, a great word in the Scripture, and that is the word virtue. In fact, why don't we turn to Second Peter chapter 1. This is the only place in the Bible, I believe, yes, where the word virtue is used twice in the same chapter. And, of course, we think about the word virtue, and um, I don't know how many are familiar. There's a very popular book a few years ago called the uh, Children's Book of Virtues. Does anybody remember that? Written by a very unvirtuous man. Uh, uh, he spent, uh, what was it, $8 million in gambling casinos in Las Vegas and different things, and uh, yet... Uh, he supposedly uh, and put together a book on the virtues for children, and uh, at that time his personal lack of virtue was not understood or known by the general public. When we think of the word virtue, we think of purity. We think of uh, excellence in character. And as we look at understanding a word uh, in the Scriptures, there, there is a process to that. Number one, you've got to be able to read and, and understand your Bible. Uh, I think, do we still have the David Cloud uh, dictionaries, the $5 dictionaries in our bookstore? If you're looking for a very inexpensive dictionary that just has difficult words found in your King James Bible in our bookstore, is a, a very small dictionary put together by a man named David Cloud. Uh, $5 will buy you the dictionary. It's small enough you can stick in your Bible case. And when you come across a tough word, there's usually a very simple definition. Uh, a lot of preachers like the uh, American Dictionary of the English Language, uh, otherwise known as Noah Webster's 1828. And uh, that is a fairly good dictionary uh, simply because it does not have all the modern definitions and things that are attached to the words. Uh, in 1828 to 1611, very few things were changed or added uh, to our English language. Now, if you want to get really serious about this thing, I have here volume 19 out of 20. Some of you will remember this. Of the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, when you go to the library, uh, you'll find the Oxford English Dictionary. Usually, it's just one little volume. This is 20 volumes this size. Uh, if you remember the anniversary of my 25th year in the ministry, the church actually bought me my own copy. I was heisting Peters while he was in college. And uh, this is the lexicon of the English language. Uh, if you want a dictionary to study words, that's the dictionary you need. Uh, and uh, if you're that desperate, uh, set up an appointment. I'll let you borrow mine as long as you wash your hands first and do all those good things. 
uh, no eating or drinking when you look at my dictionary, uh, because I, I want to keep it nice so it stays that way. And uh, But what I want us to do is you have to look up the Word. Now, uh, just to give you an idea here how thorough this dictionary is, the word virtue starts right here, if you can see that. Small print, goes the whole way through this page. Um, all this page here and all the way down to, where's the next entry? Uh, right here. So almost two full pages of this dictionary it gives to the definition of one word called virtue. Now, the little sentence that you're going to get in uh, the David Cloud Dictionary is going to help you. Uh, reading two pages in this dictionary is going to give you a lot of information that you really don't need. Uh, but it is going to give you a fuller understanding. And so what we want to do is as we study a word, if you really want to understand what it means, read the context in which the word is found, read it in your Bible, then look it up in the dictionary, and let me give you the first definition of the word virtue out of the Oxford English Dictionary. The power or operative influence inherent in a supernatural or divine being, now archaic or obscure. Now, the reason why it's archaic or obscure is because it's only used in the Bible in that way. And they are giving us the definition. Let me just read a Bible verse that, uh, that is very similar to this. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of them, out of him, I'm sorry, and healed them all. So we see the word virtue is used in our Bible in this sense that it is the power, it is the operative influence of a divine being, Jesus Christ, and it changes the lives. It, in this verse, in Luke chapter 6, it healed the people that were in the audience there, uh, talking primarily about the uh, Pharisees and scribes, a group of those religious leaders that Jesus' virtue was there, and he healed them physically uh, of their diseases and things. And the power that did that was called virtue. Now, if you're still in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's read here in verse 3. It says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now, if we go back to our dictionary and look at the second definition of the word virtue, it says conformity of life and conduct with the principles of morality, voluntary observance 
of the recognized moral laws or standards of right conduct, abstention on moral grounds from any wrongdoing or vice. Now, when the Bible tells us that we're to add virtue to our faith, it's giving us this usage of the word uh, that we should conform to the standards of morality and right. Now, where do we get our standards? We get them from the word of God. So when God says that it is wrong for an unmarried unmarried people to cohabit as if they were married, guess what? That's God's standard. If you want virtue in your life, you maintain that standard of God's holiness. Amen? And, by the way, if you're really being diligent to add virtue, you keep yourself above all appearance of evil, as the Bible says. And that means that you have to work and you have to labor to make sure that when people look at your life, they can blame God for you being weird. Amen? That's what it's about. Now, what we're going to do then, we've, we've gotten our word in question, the word virtue. We've read a couple of passages. We've looked up the definition in, in our dictionary. And by the way, word usages do change over time. Uh, we'll just give this illustration, the word conversation, when you find it in your King James Bible, does not mean two people talking one to another. What it is talking about is your general lifestyle, we would say, your testimony. And so how do we know that? Well, if you have a good dictionary like this, you like big words, it gives you the etymology of the word. That is how the word was used, how it developed, and it gives uh, reference after reference of date-specific usage of the word in the English language so that you can derive the proper definition for the proper time. Now, if this sounds a little complicated, it is. You know why? And I don't mean to pick on lawyers, but they're, they're probably one of the great vices of our society today. When my dad was a kid, two men stood together in the bank and said, I'm going to loan you X amount of dollars until harvest time so you can buy your seed and the fertilizer and get the crop in and reap your harvest. And when you sell the harvest in the market... You're going to pay me X amount of dollars back with such a percentage of interest, usually a very small amount, and they would shake hands and walk out of the bank and the deal would be done. Today, it requires hundreds of pages of legalese. And if you want to change it, you just go get a more expensive lawyer and you can get out of it. Now, What we have to understand is God communicates through his words. If you don't know what the words mean, if you don't know how they are used in the scripture, how are you going to understand God's communication? 
And so it requires this thing called study. And what every one of us should be doing, and I'm not saying everybody has, if you're going to understand your Bible, you have to have one of these. No. But in teaching the Bible, I like to have one of these so I can back up everything I say. Somebody calls me into question, I can go down through here and find um, uh, references here and even some in the Bible uh, that are in here and we, um, uh, I'm just looking through here, I really didn't pick out anything in particular on this point, but... um, Here is one from Neil Medieval Hymns in 1850, which says, Michael, who in princely virtue cast a badden from on high, which is talking about the reference where Michael and the devil get into a fight. And the author uses the word virtue to explain how he was able to do that. And so we can see the words and their usage but let me tell you this the one thing that you cannot do without. You can do without the Oxford English Dictionary. If you do not have access to a Strong's Concordance, that is something that you need if you're going to study your Bible. Now, what the Strong's Concordance does is it lists every word in your Bible, every place it's found. And one of the reasons I chose virtue was because in our time tonight, we can look up every reference in the Bible where the word virtue is used. Because even the dictionary can be wrong. Even the dictionary can give us a wrong idea of a word as it is used in the scriptures. The ultimate authority for understanding the Bible is the Bible. And so what we're going to do over the next few moments is we're going to go through every place that the word virtue is found in the Bible. And uh, before I got my computers and before I got uh, my Oxford English Dictionary and anything like this, uh, Peter, why don't you, you got an open Strong's in the bookstore there? No, the one on my shelf is falling apart. That's why I didn't bring it out here. Um, Is you open it up and you look every place the word is used in the scriptures. And as you look up every reference and study this thing through, it is going to make you very plain, is going to become very plain what the Bible is actually speaking about. Is that open or not? Oh, okay, thank you. Okay, if anybody wants to buy this, this is brand new. Peter just opened it, so it's not used. But uh, as you can see, this... Wow, I like this. This has got nice big print. But... um, It gives you every word, every major word in your Bible, every place it's found. Then you just open your book up, look up the word virtue, 
and then open your Bible and read every passage. As you read the different ways the Scripture uses a word, then you're going to understand what God is trying to teach you. And you have to be careful because sometimes we have, in English especially, words that look very, very similar, but they're different words. And so you must be careful that you do not confuse things. And this, what we are describing right now, is the basis, is the, the smallest building block of Bible understanding. Now, I hope this isn't tedious to you, uh, because if you're going to understand your Bible correctly, you've got to understand the words. Dictionaries, good. Scripture is the authority. So let's work our way through the Bible. Mark chapter 5 and verse 30. And I apologize, I got going through this thing in the study, just reviewing before tonight, and lost track of the time. Uh, I was having, uh, this is fun for me, this is what, this is what preachers ought to like to do. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 30, and let's get the entire story here, and in order to do, well, let's read verse 30, then we'll get to the story. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, here we have Jesus saying that virtue went out of me, knowing that virtue went out of his body. He is turning around and he said, Somebody touched me. Now, let's get the rest of this story here. The context here is we go back into um, verse uh, 21. And Jesus, when he passed over again by ship unto the other side, he would, this is talking about the Sea of Galilee, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Verse 22 And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, here's where we get into the details. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood... 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. 
And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, here's the entire story. Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, had... uh, made contact with Jesus and said, My daughter is dying, please come and heal her. And as Jesus was walking from where they landed the boat on the seashore to the house of Jairus, of course, the crowd of people began gathering around him. It says thronging him, reaching out to touch him. And we have one woman who had an issue of blood. Now you read in Leviticus chapter 12 and Leviticus chapter 15. You'll find out that when any person has an issue, when they have a wound that will not heal, uh, when they have uh, uh, anything, it says that this issue with this woman had gone on for 12 years. That she had been to every doctor and nobody did anything to help her. She spent all the money that she had. She comes up and she touches Jesus and is... Healed immediately. Now, let's put this in its entire context. We've read the dictionary definition. It is the power or the operative influence of a divine being. But the context, as we look at the story, we have a woman who was unclean according to the law, In order for her to be able to offer her sacrifices at the temple, she would have to number seven days and go back to the temple and offer a sacrifice for her cleansing after the cleansing had occurred. But we have an unclean woman touching Jesus. I want you to think about this a minute. Virtue is the operative influence of a divine being, yes. But what did that do? The power of Jesus' purity made the unclean woman immediately clean. That's what the word virtue is talking about. It's more than just the dictionary definition. Now, let's look through the scriptures here again. Let's look to Luke chapter 6 and verse 19. And verse 19 says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And now we go back and we pick up the context here. And he came down, verse 17, 
And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to heal him and hear him and were healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And what uh, people who study the Bible, they call this the Sermon on the Plain. Very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Not exactly in every point, but Jesus covered many of the same points that were there. And we have this power going out of Jesus and healing people and removing demonic influences in their life, this is the work of virtue. We go to Luke chapter 8 and verse 46, and this is Luke's recounting of the same story, the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman that uh, came up behind him. And uh, let's just start in verse 46, since we already have the context. And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now look at Jesus' answer here. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. So we see here that there's a connection between faith and virtue. We've already read First Peter that says, What are you supposed to add to your faith? Virtue. You see, the Bible is its own best commentary. Are you seeing how this word, I hope I'm not confusing you, are you seeing how this word virtue is being defined and built out just by going through the scriptures and studying? And by the way, I'm reducing this down quite a bit because the first time you try this, you're not going to get it done this fast. Uh... Uh, this is an exercise. This is part, there, there is, part of it is an art. It's something that you need to work at to develop. And part of it is just plain hard work. It's something that you need to struggle with and exercise through. And if you will learn to do this, your Bible will come alive to you. And you will get an understanding of the Scripture that many of the commentaries cannot give you. Why? Because they're not doing the work. Now, we've got one more passage, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And then we'll be back at 2 Peter. Philippians 4 and verse 8.
Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, let's take our definition of virtue that we have come up with so far. Virtue is the power of God that makes unclean clean. Amen? Virtue is something that went out of Christ and healed the multitude around him, removing diseases, satanic influences, etc. In Luke chapter 8, we read the story again of the woman that was healed of the issue of blood, and Jesus says, Thy faith hath healed thee, that her faith appropriated God's virtue in her life, that there is a connection between these two things. And now we take this idea and we look in Philippians chapter 8, and Paul goes through this whole list of things. He is giving the Philippians a, a, a direction for mental purity. He says, listen... It's got to be true, it's got to be honest, it's got to be just, it's got to be pure, it's got to be lovely, it's got to be of a good report. If there be any virtue, okay, virtue is the power of God that makes unclean clean. You see, God wants us to think about things that will purify our mind and our soul. If you take the overall context of Philippians chapter 4, he's telling them, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. In verse 6, I believe it is, be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Verse 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Uh, does this sound like something that God wants to have happen in your life now? If you're rejoicing in the Lord, if you're not worrying about things, you're praying the way God wants you to, if you have the peace of God keeping your heart and mind, don't those sound like very positive things? And it says it's the result of looking for these things that contain virtue and then thinking or meditating on these things. You want God to clean up a dirty mind? Here's how it works. You've been emotionally injured and traumatized through circumstance of life, and we don't make light of that in any way. You've been injured. People have done things to you, and you can't get over it. Here's how you do it. It's connected to the word virtue. You seek things that are going to make you understand the power of God and how it can cleanse you. That's virtue. Now see, isn't this definition a whole lot better than just a dictionary definition? I mean, there's a lot more here. And we come down to the passage that we started in, 2 Peter chapter 1. It says that God hath called us to glory and to virtue in verse 3. 
Now, if he's called us to glory, whose glory has he called us to? He's called us to glorify him, amen? But he's also called us to virtue. Now, how can God call us to virtue? Well, somebody says he wants to give you the power to heal other people. Just like Benny Hinn and just like, no. Study the lives of those men that are called themselves faith healers. They're not very virtuous now, are they? Was Jimmy Swaggart very virtuous? How about Oral Roberts? Uh, I mean, we can go down through the list. These are not men of virtue. They are men of vice. They are men of greed and men of immorality. And it just goes on and on and on. And, And we could get to some of the extremes that are just way out there. Men who are... Uh, whose name could not even be used in the same sentence as virtue. And yet they claim to have this power. Uh, I want you to understand the Buddhist monks for centuries have claimed to have power to heal people and have produced miracles even greater than many of the televangelists that we know of today. Stay away from that stuff. But in essence... If you take the power of this book to someone who is unsaved and lead them to the Lord, have you not taken the power of God to cleanse and applied it, helped them apply it to their lives? That's what it means when it says, called you unto glory and virtue. You see, God did not save you just to be saved. He did not save you just so you can advert problems in your life. He saved you to take the cleansing, powerful purity of Almighty God and help someone else have some. But if you're going to do that, what must you do? You go down to verse 5. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. You must be born again the Bible way. You must be saved God's way. And then you have to go to God to get that powerful purity in your life so that you can share it with someone else. That's virtue. I've given this example sometimes. What would you think if you came into my office? And of course, this example, I've had it for years. Uh, and, and you were counseling me, needed counseling about an emotional problem. I said, you mind if I smoke? And in the hour or so that we talked, I went through just chain smoking one right after the other. Don't you think you would say, who do you think you are trying to tell me how to live pure when you got this problem? Right? I would hope that you would think that way because you ought to. I had one guy I told that to and he said, oh man, that'd be great. Would you give me one? But that wasn't the only problem he had. Listen. The greatest trouble we have in Christianity today 
is we have believers that do not have virtue in their own life trying to give it to someone else. We have people that are not living godly who harbor all kinds of resentment and unforgiveness and everything in their soul trying to reach out and help someone else overcome the very same problems they fight with. You've got to understand what virtue is. You see, virtue is God's purifying power working in your life to the point that it influences people around you. If you're not doing that, you don't have biblical virtue. And I dare say that every one of us in this room ought to be in some serious prayer if you're saved about God adding virtue to our faith. Amen? I don't think it's something that any one of us will ever get enough of. And if you ever think, get to the point, hey, I got this, you got bigger problems than you could ever imagine, my friend. Because it's not your power, it's not your purity. This is what transforms people from normal teachers of falsehood into super cult media guys like Jim Jones and and uh, the Moonies and all of these things is they begin to believe that this power to change lives lives in them, that they are not merely a channel connected to Jesus getting that power and getting enough of it that it can affect another life. Did I make that point? You see... The moment you take your eyes off Jesus, you no longer have virtue. Because virtue is his power. His power to take the unclean and make it clean. He wants you to have that power in your life to influence others. But you've got to have enough of it to influence you. And just one other little tidbit in here that we want to get out of First, Second Peter chapter 1 is what do you add to virtue? Does anybody see it there? Just say it out loud. And, advert, and, and to virtue, what? Knowledge. How many of you like to meet people that know a lot? Isn't it neat when you can actually meet somebody that knows something about whatever it is you're working on? I mean, when my computer messes up, I like to take it into the genius bar and let those geniuses fix it. And uh, I remember one time my phone, it just went... And I'm sitting here, no, my phone is dead. I take it in and the guy says, well, sometimes... He said, uh, you ever see how they take those people and give them the shock treatment? He said, sometimes we do that to phones. I said, do I try this at home? He says, no, 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 don't you try it. And so he had a very powerful charger, 
And he plugs my phone in and shocks it. And guess what? It comes back to life. And it's been working ever since. But do you know what would happen if I tried that? My phone would have sparked to life for one second and then melted. And then it would have been forever ruined. Listen, we've, we've got to let Jesus do the work in our hearts and our lives. Knowledge has destroyed as many people as it's made. If you do not have virtue retaining knowledge, your knowledge will destroy you. You must have virtue to protect you from the bad things that knowledge can do to you. Now you have as biblical an understanding of the word virtue as the Bible offers. You know why? Because we've looked at every passage in the Bible that deals with that. How many of you would say, Pastor, I need more virtue in my life? I mean, my hand's up. I want more virtue. I want it to work the way the Bible says, not just the way the dictionary says. Amen? Now, I hope you've enjoyed our study because what I want you to do is try it on your own. Get one of these. You can down, I think you can even download Strong's Concordance in the King James Bible from the computer for free, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, in fact, you can, I'm pretty sure Slava's got a link on our website to that thing. There you go. So if you want one of those things on your computer, see Peter and he'll tell you how to get it for free. Okay? Uh, PC or Mac. We're not prejudiced around here. Uh, Not entirely uh, when it comes to computers. But the simple truth of the matter is you don't have to have a computer. This is what? 15 bucks, 20 bucks? Okay. Don't forget to pay brother. uh, brother. Oh, my. Governor Kumo, his dues. But um, um, one of these, and you can study your Bible and let your Bible define your Bible. It takes some labor. It takes some work. We've been about 40 minutes on a word that's only found in your Bible one, two, three, four, five times. So you pick a word that's found 105 times, it's going to take a while. But guess who's going to be the beneficiary? You will be. Not only the preacher is supposed to study the Bible. Every Christian has the need to study and understand God's Word. And that's why we're doing this series. God communicates through His words. If you don't know what the words mean, guess what? How in the world can you understand what God's communicating? 
And by the way, we did not do one Greek or original language study in our time tonight. If you know and understand and can read, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand God's Word. Now, I'm not saying that it hurts, but the problem that most people have, and we don't have time for this tonight, is they study the wrong Greek. I don't care what Socrates said about it. He's not going to help me understand what God said about it. Spend time in the Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We thank you that you have given us a Word that explains itself. No other book in the world is capable of doing what this book called the Bible does all by itself. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us to study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we...